Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Okay, we're going to be opening our Bibles now because we're continuing our Work, Rest, Play series, and Luke's about to come and preach. Uh, today we are reading from the book of Colossians, Paul's letters to the Colossians, uh, for chapter 3, and we're reading verses 22 to 24. And today we're going to be reading from the message version, so it might look a little bit different if you're following along in your own Bibles, uh, but more or less the same, and we'll have it up on the screen in that version as well for you. So verses 22 through to verse 24. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Amen. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Hayden. Isn't that wonderful, that last song? Um, to be caught up in a holy moment together. The Bible tells us that one day every tribe and every nation, every tongue will be before the throne of God and that will be a glorious part of our multifaceted future in Him. And I think it's something worth getting excited about to be able to boldly come into the presence of God together is a, is a beautiful thing. Well, this morning, um, does anybody know what this is? This is a Russian babushka doll. Um, I've got it up on the screen as well, but this is a little babushka doll, and I was thinking about babushka dolls this week, as you do, and I thought that we're a little bit like a babushka doll, because most of you would know that inside this doll is a whole bunch of other little dolls, and I think we're actually very good. I need to warn you before I open it that it's a very loud babushka doll. For some reason, it doesn't like being torn in half, so there we go. This is a little babushka doll, and inside the babushka doll is a whole bunch of other little babushka dolls. I think there's about five of them in total. And we're a little bit like this babushka doll because I think we compartmentalise our life pretty well. We are very various. We have various things going on in our life. We're quite diverse, and we have a whole bunch of stuff in our life. And what we tend to do is we tend to compartmentalise our lives, and sometimes we become different people in the different environments that we find ourselves in. And so we imagine this is me, this is kind of my, uh, you know, this is my family me, and this is my friendship circle me, and this is my, uh, maybe my church me, this is my work me, and then over here is my little mission me, and I just do a little bit of mission on the side from time to time, and that's my little mission me. And we tend to compartmentalise our lives a little bit like that. Uh, but the, the purpose of our series this year, to bloom where you're planted, is to, to shift our mindset. So we see ourselves less as this compartmentalised kind of person and more as an integrated, holistic kind of person. And so instead of seeing ourselves as... You know, just one of these little things in different places wherever we go, we need to see ourselves more holistically than that. And so this little tiny babushka here is not my mission babushka. It is part of who I am. And so when I think about that, I'm trying to get the order right here. I think we're nearly there. That is mission. 
Not the little one inside there. Everything we do is mission. And our whole life is an opportunity to represent God and his kingdom in all the places that he plants us. And it's really important to remember that. And so our theme for the year is to bloom where you're planted, whether that's in this church community, whether that's in your family environment, whether that's in your sporting club, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in your local community. God wants us to be people to bloom where we're planted, that the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of God's work in our heart would be evident everywhere we go and everything we do. And so today we're up to week two of a new series called Work, Rest and Play, which fits within the bigger theme of to bloom where you're planted. And the first three weeks of this series, we're focusing in on the area of work. And what does it look like to bloom in your work environment? Now, most of you would be aware, because I know you answered the question before, this is Sunday. And you have recently finished a week of work, and today is a rest day for you. Lucky you. And so you're having a rest day while I'm working today. But uh, it's a pleasure working because I get to serve all of you and your wonderful people and I'm sucking up. But today is a rest day for most of us as we gather together as the people of God. And today I notice there's a little spring in the step of a lot of you today. And I think I know the reason. The reason is that tomorrow is a public holiday, right? And so you've got another day of rest this week. And who knows that rest is a wonderful thing? We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But today we're focusing in on the theme of work and how important work is. And I think the reality is this, that for many people, work is seen as something to be endured rather than enjoyed. It is seen as an obligation rather than an opportunity, and it's seen as a means to an end in order to enjoy the weekend, to pay off a mortgage, to go on holidays, to buy that new golf club, or to retire comfortably. But what I want to get across today is this, that work is more than just a means to an end. Work is part of God's design for our lives, and it has been from the very start of creation. And so next week, we're going to get very super practical on how, it, how we can actually go about living for Jesus in our workplaces. But today, I want to continue laying a theological framework. And what I want to do is I want to lay that framework within a creation fall narrative and then extend it to redemption, Jesus' redemptive work, and how it impacts our approach to work today. Because work is part of God's design for our lives. And therefore, I believe that work can be something that we can find great joy in, we can find great purpose in, if we actually see it through that redemptive lens. And so today I hope and pray that we can see how the gospel is good news for us in our work. And so the title of today's message is Work Redeemed. Work is a significant part of all of our lives, even just in the terms of the amount of time we spend doing it. On average, most people commence full-time work at 20 years of age. Some people are earlier than that. Some people are later than that. But around about 20 years of age is when most people start full-time work. Now, the retirement age in Australia has been lifted recently, hasn't it? From 65 to 67. Isn't that exciting? We get to work for a couple more years before we retire and die. But it's great. It's been raised now from 65 to 67. And so if you work on average 40 hours a week... 48 weeks a year, for 47 years of your life, from 20 to 67, you will spend approximately 90,240 hours of your life working. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I think for some of you, that statistic has instantly ruined your day. 
You think, I came to church feeling good and we just had a powerful moment in the presence of God and now you're telling me that 90,000 hours of my life are going to be spent working? You've just ruined my day, you jerk. <laughs> I'm sure some of you are thinking that right now. I can tell it by the looks you're giving me. But regardless of how you feel after that statistic, what it does highlight for us is this, that work is an unavoidable and significant aspect of our lives. Therefore, as God's people, we should think deeply and carefully about how to approach work as the people of God representing his kingdom here on earth. And so for some here today, work might seem like an obligation, but the way I'd encourage us to see it is 90,240 hours of opportunity to represent Jesus in environments where the majority of people don't yet know him. You know, if every Christian shifted their mindset mindset as they went into work, I think our world could be a different place. I think businesses could be transformed, and I think we would become the light in those workplaces in a way that we're not currently doing. If we understand that God's planted us there with a purpose, it will change everything. So I want to ask you, what expectation do you have when you walk into work on a Monday morning? Not tomorrow morning, because it's a public holiday. But on a normal Monday morning, what expectation do you have as you walk into your workplace? Isn't an expectation that it's just going to be another week and I drag my feet with a case of Monday-itis? Or is it a sense of expectation? You have prayed, you have believed that God's planted you and you have an expectation that God is going to use you in significant ways to be the light and the salt in that workplace. Because if that's not your mindset, I think we need to shift that mindset so that every Monday morning we remember that we have an opportunity to serve God in our work. And so there's great purpose in the work that God provides for us But in order to see that, we need to go back to the beginning to see how it all began. We need to work out what it went wrong, why it went wrong, and we need to see why the gospel is such good news for our work today. Last week, Craig preached a great message on work, and he clearly showed us from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that work was not a result of the fall. It's not like before sin entered creation, Adam and Eve were just on a banana lounge drinking pina coladas, and and then then they sinned, and then all of a sudden, oh no, now we've got to work. It wasn't like that at all. Before sin even entered creation, Adam and Eve were busy at work. God had placed them in the garden to work. And so I think it's really important to understand that work is not something that is bad. It is something that God has designed us to do. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we have been created in the image of God. And so part of that imaging is to image him in our work. Because the God we are imaging is a God who's constantly at work. If you think about the creation account for a moment, you can think about God's work in creating the universe. And he he starts to create on day one and day two and day three, all the way to day six. He finishes his work. And at one point on day six, he kind of looks back at it and he says, gee, this is good. And then he creates mankind, the kind of the the cherry on top, the pinnacle of his creation. He stands back again. He looks at all he's created and he, he says, man, it's very good. It's very good. And so we get this idea that as God is creating, as he's doing his work, he's finding a sense of joy and fulfillment and purpose in what he's doing. And so then he tells us that we are to do the same thing. When we image God and we find purpose and joy in our life, we are actually reflecting the nature of God in our lives. Genesis 1.28 says that God blessed Adam and Eve and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he puts Adam in the garden. He's the Lord God took the man. He put him in the garden of Eden. He says to work it and to take 
care of it. Now, this was all prior to the fall. Before anything was blemished by the devastating impacts of sin, Adam and Eve were happily, get that word, happily working in the garden. They were finding great joy in what they, do, they were doing. In fact, it was a big part of the purpose of their existence. Now, today I want to introduce you to a new term for some of you that I think needs to become part of our language when it comes to work. It's used by a lot of key thinkers in the missional movement. And the term I want to introduce to you today is this term. It is faithful presence. I think God wants us to be a faithful presence in all the places that he plants us. Now, to give you a definition of what that means to be a faithful presence, it is somebody who obediently represents God's character in the place that they are planted. Somebody who faithfully, obediently represents God's character in the place that they are planted. I think God is desiring more Christians to be these kind of people, to be a faithful presence in their workplace. This morning, I'm going to prove something to you. I'm going to prove to you how difficult it is to sketch with a mouse. Are you ready? This is a Garden of Eden, okay? And go with me for a minute. How do we know it's a Garden of Eden? Well, there's Adam and Eve, and they are called to be a faithful presence in the Garden of Eden. How do you know it's a garden? Well, there's a tree there, and there's a flower, and let's add a stream. So now that's exactly what the Garden of Eden looked like. If you want to know, there it is. I can send you a photo of it. It's wonderful. This is the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve were called to be a faithful presence in the Garden of Eden to obediently represent God's character in the place that they were put by God, And they were to do it by caring and tending and working the garden. And they were to find purpose and joy in their work as humans created in the image of a God who finds joy and purpose in his work. And so that is what we were designed to do. Each January, the elders go away. We go away for an elders retreat. And we go down to a beautiful place called Marysville. Many of you would know it. And we stay at a property owned by a family friend named Colin. And it's a magnificent property. And in fact, you go there and and Colin is an incredible guy. He's like 65 or something, but he's more like a 20-year-old when it comes to energy. And he's a horticulturist by trade, and he loves being out in the garden. He's got acres of this garden. And when I look at his property, it kind of is what I imagine the Garden of Eden to be like. I mean, it all burnt down on Black Saturday, but it's come back and it's absolutely stunning. There's beautiful lush lawn, there's all sorts of shrubs with stunning bright flowers that kind of pop and make the space colourful and vibrant and it attracts all kinds of wildlife to the property, including snakes, which is very much like the Garden of Eden. And he's got acres of manicured garden. There's a Japanese garden, there's fruit trees, there's water features and sculptures, there's little gazebos that Colin has crafted, surrounded, his whole property is surrounded by these massive trees up on the hills. And just to top it off, at the bottom of his property, property, the Stevenson's River flows through and it's been voted the most amazing drinkable water in all of Australia. It is a beautiful, beautiful property. And each time we go to Colin's house, we go on a tour around his garden. This year he took us down to the river and he showed us the seats he's crafted by the riverbank so that he can sit and enjoy the water flow and he can read the word and he can pray. And it's the kind of environment that when you go there, you immediately feel rested. It's a beautiful place to be. I'll tell you the thing I enjoy most about Colin's tours around the garden is the joy on his face as he tells us about how he has cultivated that property to make it the masterpiece that it is today. 
And when I see that joy on Colin's face, it gives me a little glimpse into how Adam and Eve must have felt each day as they use their God-given gifts and abilities to creatively work and cultivate the Garden of Eden. You know, I think we can only imagine. We can only imagine what work must have been like prior to the fall. Because I don't know about you, but work for us, do you find it hard at all? Like work is sometimes hard, isn't it? It's just, it's difficult to work these days. But having said that, we still have some days that are wonderful, some days that are fulfilling. And on those days, I think we get a little glimpse of what work would have been like in the Garden of Eden. Have you ever had one of those days where you feel like you've achieved something, like really achieved something? Maybe you've helped a patient get well. Maybe you've finished building that house. Maybe you've handed in that essay or completed that project. Maybe if you're a personal trainer like my son-in-law is, it's that little muscle you see on your client and you go, wow, uh, I helped do that. You know, I trained them and maybe you could train me at some time. If you're a teacher, which let's be honest, that's 85% of you here this morning, it might be the feeling of helping, learn some, helping someone to learn something new. Or if you're a police officer, which is the other 15%, it might be finally closing a case or catching the baddie or seeing justice served in a particular situation. You get to the end of a day like that and you have this deep sense of satisfaction. I'm doing what God has created me to do. And I think for Adam and Eve, that was every day. Really, they had what we would call the dream job, doing what they were created to do, the kind of job where your gifts and your passions kind of intersect in a way that it doesn't even feel like work. And so their work in the garden would have been very satisfying. But I think the greatest joy for Adam and Eve didn't come from the work they did. It came from the fact that they did it with God. I think true purpose for our work is found in a connectedness with our Creator. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve walked and talked in the garden with God. And I can picture them talking about the work they'd done that day and taking great delight in what they were doing. And I can imagine them having a conversation with God about that. And He would have delighted in them and they would have delighted in Him as they look at all the things they had created in the garden that day. There was this beautiful, unblemished relationship where everything they did was connected to their purpose to bring glory to the one who'd created them. What they had was incredible. It's what the Bible calls shalom. It's peace. It's wholeness. It's, it's more than that. It's all-encompassing term. It means when everything is in harmony, the way God designed it to be. But we all know the story. In one moment, that peace, that shalom, that wholeness was shattered. It was the moment that they chose to rebel against God and do things their own way. It was the moment in the garden that they ceased being a faithful presence. And the punishment for their rebellion against God and their will to do things their own way is that they were expelled from the garden. And the problem with that was twofold. First of all, the garden was their place of work where they were connected to their purpose. But the second thing about the garden is it represented the presence of God. And so in their sin actually formed this barrier between them and God and they were cast out of the presence of God. They were rejected from the garden where they worked with God and for God and for God. And work would never be the same. What once brought joy and purpose was now full of pain and difficulty. There was thorns and thistles, but worst of all, They now toiled alone. They were disconnected from their purpose because they were cast out of the presence of their creator. You can see the frowns on their face. What a mess they made. We call this the fall. 
And I think that, that language fall is so appropriate because when we think about this, we see how far they fell from, from the paradise of the garden with this unblemished relationship with God to the reality they experienced outside of the garden, separated from his presence. For the remainder of the Old Testament, this is what life was like. In fact, relationship with God was no longer walking and talking freely and openly in the presence of God. They had to maintain their relationship with God through a sacrificial system. In a temple, God's presence was confined to the Holy of Holies inside that temple. And his presence was separated from normal everyday people like you and me by this massive curtain which was about 150 mil thick. And only one person, the high priest could enter the presence of God once a year in order to make sacrifices on behalf of the people for their sin. How tragic is this? Freely encountering the presence of God in the garden, walking and talking in unblemished relationship to now one person once a year being able to access the presence of God. That is how far humanity fell after sin entered the garden. And if creation and fall was the only story we had to tell, it would be a hopeless one. Hopeless for them and hopeless for us. But thank God that the fall was not the end of God's story. God's story is a great story of redemption. And through his son, he is redeeming all things that were broken, including all those things that were lost in the garden. This is where the gospel is such good news. We've sung about it this morning, but I think sometimes we kind of doze off and we take it for granted. But the gospel is glorious, life-changing news because we have a story about God himself, Jesus, God in human form, stepping down into the mess that we created. And he lived amongst us. And he lived a perfect life. And he qualified to be the ultimate sacrifice. And he died in our place for your sin and for my sin. He died on the cross to redeem us. And when he was hanging on the cross, dying, some of his final words were these words. He says, it is finished. In other words, the penalty has been paid for the sins that Adam and Eve committed and the sins we've committed. And now those words, it is finished, is what we can declare over the sin in our lives in the person of Christ. No longer are those sins held against us. No longer do we have to pay the death penalty that we all deserve because Jesus did it for us. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth that will change your life. Jesus is the once and, all, once and for all sacrifice on our behalf. But I'll tell you what makes the gospel even more stunning than that. What makes it more stunning is that we now once again have access to the presence of God. I think we just felt it a few moments ago in song. But it's not just for a minute on a Sunday. We can enter his presence in our workplace. We can enter his presence in our family life. We can enter his presence every single moment because the Holy Spirit's been given to us. He is with us and he is in us. And one of the things that the Gospels tell us, when Jesus died, the moment he died, in Matthew 27, 51, it tells us at the very moment of his death, the curtain of the temple, that 150 mil thick curtain, was torn from top to bottom. And we go, what's significant about that? Well, what's significant about that is this, that that curtain represented that we were separated from the presence of God. But the moment it tore open, it represented that in Christ, we can once again step back into relationship with God and we can once again experience his presence in our life. What Jesus did for us is phenomenal. Entering the presence of God is not for the professionals once a year. It's for every person who calls on the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we receive Jesus as our Lord, we come back into relationship with God and we enter his, a present, we enter his presence. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that when we do, we will find mercy and grace in our time of need. And so the Spirit of God has been given to us. He dwells with us and in us at all times. And so we don't need a temple anymore because our bodies are now a temple of the Holy Spirit as he dwells in us. We don't need a garden anymore because his presence is with us at all times. I love what King David says. He says this. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If King David could say that before Jesus came, then how more can we say it? How much more can we say it? That we can live and experience the presence of God. We can't escape his presence wherever we go. And so as the Spirit works in our lives, he keeps pointing us back to the person of Jesus and he reminds us of the future hope we have in him. We read about this in Revelation 21. That what started in a garden is going to be culminated in a city and it's going to be a city with a vibrancy and love will be the centre of that city. God will dwell with us. We will be his God and we will be his people. It's a beautiful future that we have because of the power of the gospel. But the gospel isn't just good news for the future. It's also good news in the presence. And today this is where the rubber hits the road because it impacts our everyday work in profound ways. Bob Thune once said that redemption affects every part of us. And through us, God's redemption is extended into the world around us. So redemption in Christ must transform our view of work. No longer is work a necessary evil. It's now a calling. Work now has great spiritual significance because it's a chance for God to be glorified. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are co-workers in God's service. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors of Christ in everything that we do. And so I want you to see for a moment what Christ has achieved because in the garden, Adam and Eve's sin meant that they were expelled from relationship with God and they were expelled from their purpose of work. But now Jesus brings us back into relationship with God and once again, he reestablishes purpose for us in our work. And so work is something that we do for him. It's an incredible thing. His presence is with us and in us everywhere we go. And we are to join him in his redemptive work as we look forward to when he returns to finish that work. And so work is not just an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's not just something to be endured, but to be enjoyed as we use our gifts to serve him. The purpose of work is much more than just a paycheck. We are invited into God's work of redeeming the world, and he wants to do that through you and through me. Now, as I said before, that won't always be easy because even though we are reconnected to our purpose for work in Christ, we still live in the reality and the hangover of the curse. There are still thorns and thistles that we have to deal with. But in the midst of it, as we wait for Jesus' returns, he's once again inviting us to be a faithful presence in the place that he puts us. Now, the thorns and thistles for us today appear in different forms. Sometimes it's anxiety or pressure in your workplace. Sometimes it's deadlines or stress. Sometimes it comes in the form of the people you work with who can be difficult or rude or lazy. Sometimes it can be a demanding boss. Marie, Esther, Adam and Leanne, this does not apply to you. (laughs) 
Work can be hard as we wait for Jesus to finish his redemptive work, but as we live as a faithful presence, we don't do it alone. We do it as a co-worker with God and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to be self-controlled, to exercise the fruit of the Spirit in our workplaces, to be a peaceful presence in the midst of stress and pressure, and to be faithful to God in the way that we love those that we work with. This is hard, but it is possible when we remember who we are truly serving. Colossians chapter 1, sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25 says, Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that your ultimate master you're serving is Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When we understand that it's Jesus we're serving, even in our workplace, it transforms the way we work. Because even if the boss is a pill, even if our other people in our workplace are lazy, even if our job is difficult, we're not doing it to please any of those people. We're doing it because we're serving Jesus himself. It transforms the way that we see work. And it, performs, it transforms the way that we are to live in our workplaces. In the last few weeks, we've seen the best and worst of humanity, haven't we? So these devastating fires and we saw how many people generously sacrificed to provide resource and time and energy and support for those affected by the fires. There was this beautiful expression of love. And in the last few weeks, people have gone mad over the coronavirus. They are now selfishly stockpiling for themselves toilet paper and other supplies and it seems like nobody has a square to spare for their neighbour. When it comes to our workplaces, we have a choice on the sort of people that we're going to be. Will we be the selfish, in-it-for-myself kind of people where we just go to get a paycheck and to get ahead in our career? Or will we be, be more people like those that responded to the fire, those that are quick to serve, to bless, to love? and to support people. Let me propose that God is calling you and me to be the second ones. When we remember who we're truly serving, it transforms the way we see our work. I experienced this in my own working life. Prior to full-time church-based ministry, I was a carpenter by trade. What would Jesus do? People think I took it a bit too literally. I just stopped at the crucifixion part because Jesus has already done that. Thank you, Jesus. But I used to be a carpenter, and being on a building site was not always easy. I learned a whole lot of new words on the building side, words that I could never repeat on a Sunday morning in church. I saw a whole bunch of new things. I saw some of the best and often some of the worst of humanity. I saw some joy and some hard work and some fun and some life, but also saw a lot of stress and misery and brokenness and sometimes explosive anger by people on the building site. It was a good exercise of discipleship, really, in the real world. And I'm really grateful for that experience that before I stepped into church ministry, I had about 11 years on a building site. And I think that shaped me and formed me and helped me to be able to connect with people in a way that perhaps I couldn't if I went straight from school to Bible college. But as I worked with both clients and fellow tradespeople, it was a great training ground for me. But as I think back on my career as a carpenter, I think I could divide it into two parts. I think in the first six years, my mindset was obligation. But in the last five years, I think my mindset shifted to opportunity. Part of that was probably because I started as an apprentice and that meant a lot of digging trenches and cleaning up work sites in the first few years. And so some days that felt like an obligation. But it wasn't primarily because of the work I was doing, 
but rather because of the mindset I had. Upon reflection in those years, I was a Christian by name, but not so much by nature. And about the six-year mark, God did something miraculous in my life. I had one of those encounter moments with him. You might call it a spiritual awakening. And I reconnected with God in a meaningful way and it started to transform the way that I saw work. I started seeing it less as an obligation and I started seeing it more as an opportunity. One thing I changed is that I started to read my Bible in my lunch break. And you'll never, I'll never forget the first day I ever did it. We had these plasterers that worked on our side and they were loud and pretty obnoxious at times and they were always throwing things around and making noise. And, and every lunchtime they said, hey, we're going down to the shops and they would go off and get their lunch. And this particular day they went off to get their lunch and they said, do you guys want anything from the fish and chip shop? And we said, no, no, it's all right, we've got our own lunch. And so we sat down and we started to have our lunch and I got my Bible out and I started to read the Bible and then these guys walked back in after their fish and chips to sit down with us for lunch like they did every day and they were loud and they were mucking around and they were jovial until they took one look at me reading the Bible and they instantly went dead silent. (laughs) It was the quietest lunch break we've ever had on the work site and they encountered the living, active Word of God, and they were struck deaf, <laughs> they were struck silent. And it was really very strange. But over time, as they overcame the initial shock of the powerful book in their midst, it opened up conversations about faith and about life. And they came to respect us for who we are and what we believed. And as we started to live with purpose, as I started to see work as an opportunity, other opportunities started to arise. I worked with my dad, who's a builder, and we used to go and get our timber from a place called Moorabbin Timber. And at Moorabbin Timber, they had a builder's room. And that builder's room I used to call Bermuda Triangle because once dad went in there, he never seemed to come out again. (laughs) And there were some builders that were eternally present in the builder's room. And one particular builder was a guy called Vince. He was the loudest builder of all. And he knew that we were Christians. And over a period of time, he started to call Dad God. And he started to call me Sog, which meant Son of God. And so we would turn up into the timber yard, and we'd be on the other side of the timber yard, and Vince would poke his head out of the builder's room, and he'd go, Hey, everyone, God's here. And Soggy's here as well. Soggy, the Son of God. Come and meet the Son of God. And he thought it was a really big joke. But over time, we became good friends with Vince. And when Vince went through a difficult time in his life, despite all the jokes and all the ribbing at our expense, who do you think he opened up to? Who do you think he came to in that time? He came to us. And it all started with a shift of mindset. We didn't see work as obligation, but as opportunity. Christ wants to redeem the way you see your work. Because if we are a faithful presence in the place God's planted us, by working hard, by serving others, there are many opportunities that will arise to represent Christ as we invest in relationship. And I don't want you to think it's just by being a nice person. We've talked a lot about the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and all that, and they're so important. And it's important to be those people that bear the fruits of the Spirit. But I'm not just talking about being a nice person in your workplace. I'm talking about the fact that God wants to use you to bring transformation in the places he's planted you. Some of you run businesses and you have a unique opportunity to mould them to be generous and just and honest 
and to honour God in every way. Others here will be part of a leadership team in your workplace and you'll have a seat at the table for decision-making that will affect other people and it will affect the culture of your workplace. And when those opportunities arise, God is with you in those moments. You are his co-worker to be courageous and to speak truth. For others, you're just employees. You don't have the same opportunities to sit at the table in leadership or decision-making, but you can still be a light in that place that God plants you in the way you model serving others and encouraging and building your workmates up. It's less about position and it's more about your posture. It's no accident that you're in your workplace. God has planted you there. And just as Adam and Eve were put in that garden to cultivate that space, that it would be a place that would honour God, you have been placed in your workplace to help cultivate and shape that place to also be a place that honours God. Whether this is your forever vocation or a stop off along the way, whatever you do, And wherever you do it, do it all for the glory of God. That is what we are created for and what Jesus has redeemed us to joyfully participate in. My prayer is that each of us will prayerfully consider how we can be a faithful presence in our work to obediently follow God in the places he plants us because this is all mission. Everything we do is a chance to represent God. It's not an obligation It's 90,240 hours of opportunity. This morning I want to finish with a commissioning prayer for people in their workplaces. And we did this last week. This time of year we we usually commission those that uh, are here in our church serving in some way. And that's a great thing to do. But sometimes it communicates that the, the real ministry happens inside these walls and not out there. And the reality is we only spend about three hours a week here and we spend the rest of the week out there. And so most of the ministry opportunities we're going to have are going to exist outside these four walls. And so we want to commission you for the careers and the vocations that God has placed you in. So last week, these are the people that we prayed for. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we want to commission you this morning. So you can stand up if you're a tradesman, carpenter, plumber, electrician, etc. If you're part of the emergency services, you're a fiery or an amber or a police officer. If you're a teacher or a childcare worker, if you weren't here last week and I'm calling you out, now's your chance to stand. If you're a teacher or a childcare worker, if you're in the medical profession, a doctor or a nurse, if you're a stay-at-home parent, a mum or a dad, if you're an event manager, an office worker, an artist, a painter, an actor, a musician, a singer, if you work in a not-for-profit place, if you're an IT worker, if you're a public servant, if you're a factory worker, if you're an engineer, and then today, these are the other ones I want to pray for. If you're an architect or a draftsperson, if you're a consultant, if you're a mechanic, a CEO, if you're in church ministry, if you're a sales rep, if you're a graphic, fashion, or interior designer, if you're a landscape designer, if you're in marketing, if you're an athlete like me, if you're a retail worker, if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, if you're in the hospitality area, if you're a chef or a barista, If you're a researcher, if you're a retiree, God's not finished with you yet. And if you're anything that I haven't mentioned yet, like a, I don't know, a garbologist or an astronaut, one of those more rare but just as important things, I want to invite you to stand up. And what we're doing right now is significant because you carry the presence of God and you represent his kingdom on earth. And so as you step into those places, you are being commissioned today to represent Jesus in that space. 
And so if you're not standing this morning, you can stretch out your hands. We're going to pray for these people. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for the work you did for us at the cross, that you have brought us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that you've given us a rebooted opportunity to have purpose and joy and fulfilment in our work. It's not always easy, but we don't do it alone. Lord, we do it with you. We're your co-workers. And so I pray for each person standing up right now in their areas of work and vocation. Lord, I pray as they step into it this Tuesday morning, that they would do it with fresh eyes, with fresh expectation, that they would come before you at the start of the day in prayer, expecting and believing that you create opportunities to be generous, to be kind, to be loving, to contribute to the decision-making of that place, to shape the culture of that place, to be your hands and feet in everything they do. May they work hard. May they be faithful to their employees, to their employers. May they be loving to their fellow employees. And may people look at them and over a period of time see that there's something different about them that's attractive and may it open up opportunities to share faith and to share life with precious people in those places that don't yet know you. Lord, we commission them, we send them, and we ask that all the things we do in our work would be done for your glory. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whether we work in workplaces, we do it all for the glory of God. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.